Well, good morning, everyone. Morning. Morning, front row. Morning, back row. Hello, hello, great. Uh, my name's James. If you don't know, uh, I'm the associate vicar here, and it's, I'll just add my warm welcome uh, to that of David's, and it's great, great to have you here this morning. Um, it's a little bit different to last week, isn't it? I remember it being almost dark in church last week, and now there's the, the wonderful sun. Did anyone see the frost this morning? It's probably still there, actually. Yeah, anyway, that's a nice start. A little icebreaker for us to talk about the weather. Anyway, um, uh, uh, as David said, this morning we continue um, our series based on the book of 1 Corinthians, um, and it's called Sharing Life. There it is. Um, can you believe our office did that? They painted uh, something on a piece of paper, then splattered it in a very arty kind of way, took a photo, and there you go, it's on the screen. I'm quite impressed with that, aren't you? Well, uh, I am, I do yeah. Anyway, 1 Corinthians, this book is, a, um, is a, a letter sent to a young church, and by young I mean uh, young in its years since it was planted, since it was started, uh, and they were seeking to become established. So they were a young church, they were having to deal with what it meant to be a church, what it meant to be people who were trying to follow Jesus uh, in a world, in a situation, in a culture that wasn't necessarily following Jesus. <laughs> Uh, and, and Corinth, which is the place, um, the place where um, the letter was sent to, was a large cosmopolitan city uh, that attracted people from every nation, uh, culture and religion. So if you can imagine that kind of city, it was wi widely known for its immorality. It had a large shrine to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, um, and temple sex workers were often used. Uh, that's the kind of culture that was going on at the time. Um, and this letter was written... Uh, to the church that was encountering all sorts of problems as they sought to establish themselves. Um, and to recap just a little bit about what Anne was talking about last week when she did an introduction, if you don't want to hear it from me, listen online. Um, at the start of the letter, Paul was talking about divisions that had arisen uh, in the church. Um, uh, some following to claim Paul, the founder of the church. Others, Apollos, who was kind of um, the second generation leader who Paul passed on the leadership to. Others were claiming allegiance to Peter, who kind of founded the church altogether. And then others were going, actually, no, I follow Christ. Kind of taking the pious road of saying, I don't follow any of you. I follow Jesus. So there were kind of a bit of piety going on as well. Um, rather than making the right choice, which obviously it is to follow Christ. Uh, but these divisions within the church were purely based on which leaders they respected, which leader was the flavour of the month, uh, that is the leader they pledged their allegiance to. Um, and we heard last week that despite their problems, despite these problems, and it's not just division, as we go through the letter uh, to 1 Corinthians, we hear of all sorts. It's an absolutely cracking letter. Um, uh, but despite all these problems, Paul starts his letter with thanksgiving. He starts by saying, I give thanks to God for you, uh, despite all the stuff that's going on in the church. Why can he do that? It's because he, and he's reminding the, the church in Corinth, that they operate from a place of grace. It's absolute grace. They operate from a place of grace. And this is key as Paul goes on in his letter. Uh, he has some hard things to say uh, in this letter, uh, but he was calling the church in Corinth to step back into living from that place of grace. So I don't know about you, but in a general life of trying to follow Jesus, it's easy to make it about works, to make it how good a Christian you've been this week, or, oh, how many times have I sinned this week? 
When actually God says, no, you start from grace. You don't try and earn grace. A grace is a gift we don't deserve that's freely given to us from the start. So he was calling the church to step back into that, to centre on what Christ had done on the cross. Unmerited favour that Christ had won for us. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is our starting point. It's not behaviour management that we're in the business of, but it's sinking into grace, sinking into grace, and allowing that grace to permeate every part of who we are and inform every decision. It's quite a high challenge, isn't it, to us? Is every decision you, made, you make based on grace that you stand in? The answer for most of us is probably no, which is why I asked it. So this morning, I'd like to look at what Paul says about this. Um, so today's reading, which we will read in a moment, um, Paul is seeking to stop the church wasting their time in these, in these um, divisions within the church. He's, he's wanting them to stop wasting their time, to live in unity and to call them back to the central message of Christ and Christ crucified as the centre of what they're about, rather than mere human wisdom. So let's read 1 Corinthians and see what Paul has to say about living for Christ today. Uh, and we're, uh, it's going to come on the screen. If you want a Bible, there's some on the shelf back there. Um, and if you want to follow it in the Bible, it is starting on page 1144. And it's 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 18. And we're going through to 218. So we've got a fair reading ahead of us. And this is Christ crucified is God's power and wisdom. And it goes like this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has that not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God, that is, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And now into chapter 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except 
Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things of God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the, th the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them as foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well done. Long reading, but I wanted to make sure we hear the whole of this book as we go through. Otherwise, we're not preaching 1 Corinthians, are we? Um, so there we go. So I wonder, um, have you ever stopped for a minute to consider how amazing the gospel actually is? that as a no good um, let me just let me just go into this I'm sure you have but let me just uh, say this the eternal all-powerful God with no beginning and no end set in motion a plan to save you and bring you into his family before you even existed and actually before anyone existed pretty good that's incredible isn't it but you know it doesn't stop there um, what's even more stunning is the way he would then do it in order for you and I to be saved, God also needed to plan the death of his own son for you and I to be brought into right relationship with the Father. So Jesus, God's son, took our place on the cross so that we could become pure, holy and clean sons and daughters of God. Fully accepted because Jesus has taken our sin. The stuff that separates us from God who is perfect, and clothed us in his righteousness, made us right before God again. And we can now know we're loved, we're accepted, we're significant, we have access to our Heavenly Father and can live free in our identity, knowing that we work and we live in and from a place of his delight over us, before we even start. Does that sound good? 
This was the eternal plan of God that accumulated in 33 years of Jesus' life on earth and finalised in his death and resurrection. You see, this is called salvation. This is called receiving a saviour because we can't save ourselves. And it's absolute grace. It's a gift we don't deserve. It's unmerited favour. But it's at huge cost to God. One person puts it like this. It's God's riches at Christ's expense on the cross. It's God's riches for you and I at Christ's expense on the cross. It's actually the best news ever. It's not just good news, it's the best news ever. And this good news is meant to permeate the heart and the mind the entire life of someone who claims to follow Jesus. Otherwise we just begin to forget. We begin to blend in. There is no greater news. I tried to find better news this week. Here's a few headlines I found um, from this week. You can probably imagine what's about to come. Um, See if these compare to the gospel. In no particular order, Derby County. Frank Lampard, FA Cup win at Southampton. Magical, says Derby boss. Frank Lampard's Barmy Army was another one. And we're going to pray for Derby County later on. The second one is Brexit. Not going to say anything. Theresa May meets party leaders to try and break the deadlock. Good news? Here's the other one. A bit of meat, a lot of veg, the flexitarian diet to feed 10 billion. Good news? Kind of good news. Is it as good as the good news? Good, you know. Some of that may be okay news, uh, but there's nothing like the good news of Jesus. Uh, And this is really what Paul's getting at. There's nothing. There's nothing like this, what we're talking about. Don't forget. The good news uh, is just that for some. Those who are being saved, Paul says. Those who are being saved. It's almost like we grow in what it means to live like this. Those who are being. It's active. It's, it, it is done at some point, but it's also active. We're being saved. We're growing in what it means. But to those who are perishing, Paul says, those who haven't come to Jesus and accepted this gospel, this good news, it seems like foolishness. It seems utter foolishness. You see, I I don't know whether you've ever thought of it like this, but the cross in many ways has turned things upside down for us and for the whole world. Paul writes in verse 8, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence, the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. Jesus died a state criminal. He died on a Roman instrument of torture, a death reserved for the most degraded and despised in society. The cross did not become a symbol of Christianity for hundreds of years later. Crucifixion was about weakness, humiliation and defeat. And it was the final word. Does that sound like the power of God to you? If you don't know who Jesus is. It looks like utter defeat, doesn't it? So to the world that hasn't accepted the message of Jesus Christ, it seems like foolishness. But Jesus, and here Paul is telling us, that actually change your sense of reality this morning. 
This is actually how things are meant to be, and this plan has been in, the pl in place since the beginning of time. Corinth was known as a, an intellectual centre by virtue of being a popular city. It meant that many people passed through, including debaters, travelling speakers, philosophers from far and wide. The mind and intellect were highly rated. People, people were proud um, of their intellectual academic achievements. As well as the pursuit of pleasure that we've already spoken about, knowledge was king. Does this sound familiar, Cambridge? You see the link? Yeah. Does this sound familiar, Cambridge? See, the message of life transformation through the power of the cross, which looks like defeat, perceived weakness, seems like foolishness to many people. In this case, Gentiles, Greeks, those who valued the quality of the delivery of the message over the message itself, had too much pride to hear and accept something that was outside their thinking or understanding. You know, when we do that, we miss the good news. Just because we can't logically bring it together. We miss the good news. And Paul goes on, it's a stumbling block to the religious. In this case, the Jewish people. Who think they have a neatly mapped out view of God and how he will act are suddenly faced with a crucified Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. It doesn't fit. It's upside down. So to this, Paul says these amazing two lines in verse 25. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. Just, just let your head get around that for a moment. And then we'll say the next one. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. Then he says, God's weakness is stronger than human strength. It's not your doing, says Paul. It's not about you. It's not because of what you think or what you achieve. Or who you are, what you look like, or your position in society verse 30 it says it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus it's because of him who has made a way for us to be in right relationship with God he's made a way for us to be holy and he has made a way for us to be redeemed the message version puts it like this everything we have right thinking and right living a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Sorry if that's obvious. Or maybe we need to have it pointed out again. It's all about Jesus. That could be the only sermon we ever preach, really. It's all about Jesus. And living like this, like it's all about Jesus, is often regarded as foolishness in the world's eyes. Has anyone had that experience? Sometimes more overtly than others. Living like this is sometimes regarded as foolishness in the world's eyes. And what do I mean? Making a decision based on integrity as a follower of Jesus in the workplace, risking position or furthering your career, may look like foolishness to some, but it is in fact wisdom in Christ Jesus. 
It's upside down. To make sacrificial decisions with your money for the sake of the kingdom may look like foolishness to some, but it is in fact wisdom in Christ Jesus. To keep hoping in a place of adversity, sickness, suffering or death. Taking the promise of scripture at its word that nothing can separate us from God's love and that one day he's going to come and restore all things to be the way they're supposed to be may look like foolishness to the world around us, but it is in fact wisdom in Christ Jesus. It is upside down. In fact, when you know Jesus, you see it to be the power of God. It is the power of God that we can live an upside down life. A guy called Brother Andrew, I don't know if you've heard of him, smuggled lots of Bibles into dangerous places in a nutshell. Amazing guy. He says this, I'm Christ's fool. Whose fool are you? I'm Christ's fool. Whose fool are you? So don't, Paul says, boast in what you know, how good you've been, your position, your success, or whatever it may be. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord and be fools for him. See, Paul is drawing, as I said at the beginning, he's drawing the Corinthian church to the central importance of the cross being the source of spiritual wisdom. To us, he's saying, look at Jesus. He's he's done it for you. (laughs) Accept what he's done for you freely and now live it. He's saying, come on, church. It may look like foolishness to those around you, but to us, it is actually the power of God to live in this way as a follower of Jesus. Remember what I've done, step in to the grace that you've received and receive that vision, revision of, revision, receive that vision of me again, the crucified saviour, but also the risen saviour. Renew the joy of your salvation today. Don't just plod along. Don't just plod along. Become a fool for Christ. So what's stopping you or stopping me? Are we too proud to embrace this with every part of our lives? Are we too proud, St. Barnabas? And I say it personally now, are you too proud? And only you know that. Are you too religious to embrace this? Does it seem like foolishness to really put all your eggs in one basket with Jesus? And Jesus Christ crucified. Is it too much of a risk to live like this, really, with every part of your life? Does it seem too good to be true? That you're still holding a little bit off, that you won't surrender to him? I would say the gospel is actually all or nothing. So Paul says, don't be afraid of a simple message. 
And then he tells us, that's why it was so important to read all of this. He tells us how to do it. He tells us how he's done it in, in chapter 2. He says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. To know nothing apart from Jesus Christ and him cru- crucified. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. So quite simply, Paul focused on Jesus and who he is. Are you focused on Jesus at the moment? First question. Secondly, Paul is focused on the testimony of what Jesus has done. Do you need a renewed sense of what Jesus has done for you? I'd say that's a daily, a daily act, actually. So that's probably a yes for all of us. But it's a daily act. Sometimes a weekly act at church as well. That's why we preach the gospel. But it's a daily act for us, isn't it? To remember what he's done on the cross for us. But then Paul also talks about how he came in weakness, fear and trembling. It's a place of humility. It's a posture of knowing that you walk in grace and you aren't meant to shoulder it. You're not your own saviour and you can't be. Has anybody felt weak in the last week? (laughs) Sorry to use two weeks. Different weeks. Has anybody uh, experienced fear and trembling in this last week over anything in particular? (laughs) Well, Paul says you're in fantastic company because it's part of living this life that we walk in that. He says, come as you are. Come as you are. Come in weakness, fear, and trembling to live this life. Focus on Jesus, remember what he's done, and come as you are. But this next part that he speaks out, the final part of this passage today, uh, is the part that makes us distinct as being followers of Jesus. The the real power behind it. Um, Moses asked the question, didn't he, of God in the book of Exodus, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other on the face of the earth? And the answer is the Lord's presence. The Lord's presence will be with them. The Lord's presence is with us and will be with us. The power of God backing up what we say, yes, but backing up the way we have chosen to live. The decisions we've made is the Lord's presence with us. And this is what Paul arrives at. He came not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that people's faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So I don't want people to be persuaded by me about Jesus as the crucified Saviour, but by Jesus the crucified Saviour himself. And it is the power of God that does that. Through us, yes. Through willing hands, yes, but ultimately it is the Lord who does that. It is the Lord that empowers us to be his followers. Paul was utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit to to guide him, to speak through him, to be with him. St. Barnabas, I think we need the Holy Spirit. Do you agree? Great, well, we'll we'll get to that. But however inadequate you feel, if you ask the Holy Spirit to speak through you, he will in all circumstances. It's not an empty promise. (coughs) Tell I've been reading Brother Andrew, but here's another quote from him. One man with God is a majority, 
One man with God is a majority. I'd like to add one woman with God is also a majority. But, you know, we're talking about men and women with God. You are a majority. Have you ever thought about that? One man with God is a majority. So if you've come to Christ, you have the Spirit living inside of you, you are spiritually alive. You may not feel it this morning. We'll probably do some star jumps in a moment, uh, just to go for it. But you are spiritually alive. Uh, And because we have the Spirit, we also have the Spirit's wisdom, which is the wisdom of God. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived of things of God has prepared for those who love him. These things have been revealed by the Spirit. So the Spirit searches the deep things of God and therefore knows what no human being could otherwise know. Knows the thoughts of God. We have that Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God and we have that Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows us what God has freely given us through grace. It testifies to our hearts that we are children of God. We are filled with that Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to pass on the message of the Gospel as recorded in Scripture. We are filled with that Spirit. The Holy Spirit illuminates these truths about God. When we receive the Spirit, we understand the thoughts of God. In fact, Paul goes a little bit further and he says we have the mind of Christ. The final line of what I read today. We have the mind of Christ. Why? Because we're filled with the Spirit who knows the mind of Christ. We cannot do it without the Spirit. Everything I've said so far is utterly pointless without the Spirit. So we're called to be fools for Christ in the world's eyes with the centrality of who Jesus is and what he's done in the power of spirit, the spirit and with the wisdom, the mind of Christ. It's not a bad deal, is it? That we get the power and the wisdom of the Lord of heaven just to help us a little bit along the way. In fact, it's a pretty good deal, to be honest. So ask your neighbour, give them a nudge if they've fallen to sleep because I've been talking for too long. Are you a fool for Christ? And then, get, and then, then ask them, what foolish thing have you done this week for him? <coughs> Just want to say the word grace as well. Before that feels really heavy, it's all from Grace. Okay, his presence distinguishes us. We need his presence. I think we've established that. But we are filled with the Spirit. When you come to Christ, you you have received the Spirit. So why do we pray, come Holy Spirit? Well, the Spirit is also present and moving around us, and we want what the Spirit wants right now. So when we pray, come Holy Spirit, we pray, come and do what you're doing now in us. We've already received you, but Lord, we welcome you again to come and work in our lives. And that's the presence of God, our loving Heavenly Heavenly Father, doing the things that he knows. So that's where we're going to end today. We're going to ask for the Lord to come. And he's already here, so kind of know he's going to do it. So shall we stand together?